Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. We've been talking about 2020 vision and a lot of different aspects of, of vision in our life. The fact that God wants us to move forward, to make room for more. The fact that he wants to follow through with what he's put in our heart. So much we've talked about, um, the importance of planting seed for the harvest, for your future. And today, we, uh, today, I want us to kind of bring this to a close. It's the conclusion of our 21 days prayer and fasting. I thought it was very appropriate. So we want to talk about 2020 vision and the power of celebration. The power of celebration. Now, what do we mean by celebrate? I mean, most of us know celebrate uh, it means to observe a notable occasion or holiday. It's when you acknowledge, give praise or thanks. When you party, sometimes celebration. You can celebrate something, a date or event, or you can celebrate someone. Now, we have all sorts of occasions that we celebrate. We celebrate, we celebrate when a couple gets married. They celebrate every year their anniversary. We celebrate when a person gets a new job, promotion, when they graduate from school. We celebrate when someone is born. We celebrate their birth, and we celebrate when someone dies. We celebrate their life. We celebrate when our team wins at Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know what that means anybody to anything today. You know, it's not quite as exciting as it is when we really can. Maybe you're connected to some of these teams. I don't know. That's fine. But Super Bowl Sunday, you're probably more connected to the college football playoffs that are already behind us for this year. But all these dates that bring us together, there's some people that get serious about celebrating sports. It's amazing. Um, hey, I'm all for sports. My kids were involved. My grandkids are involved, and that's great. And many of you, you're very involved in it, and that's wonderful. I think one of the biggest obstacles we, we, we deal with, or one of the biggest challenges we deal with when it comes to these things in our life, in our family, is that certain things just usurp or take over everything. They take priority over everything else that's going on. And that's what Christian parents, it's what we all have to to, to get before the Lord, pray about, and look at and say, now wait, there needs to be some type of balance here. What am I telling my child is most important? What am I telling them is most important? And, hey, I understand taking weekends off, and I understand going to events, and I understand that I believe in it, support it, I think it's wonderful. It's just that in America, uh, sports have become uh, idols, idolatry, and that's something that we must guard against here. And you can enjoy it, celebrate it, be involved in it. But I think that's just one little area that celebration just sometimes goes crazy. Some people go crazy when they celebrate. <laughs> and, uh, you know, some, some people show how they celebrate in different ways. It's like sometimes maybe when you're involved in praise and worship and there's just something moving inside of you and, and man, you're hearing about what God's done for you and you're singing about his greatness and his love and everything inside of you is moving and is stirred and you express it in so many different ways you can express it and, and then it's often so puzzling 
of anyone that could say, oh, my life, you have been faithful. You've been so, so good. But maybe they show their celebration different. Probably not celebrating very much, but people express the way they celebrate in different ways, and we need to acknowledge that, be aware of that. But what are we excited about? We need to learn to celebrate more. Christians need to celebrate more. I'm talking about things in our life, experiences, our family, daily, and, and celebrate him above everything. We need to learn to celebrate. Some of us have forgotten how to really celebrate the things that are very important. Now, studies have shown that people who express gratitude and celebrate on a regular basis, celebrate good things that are happening to them, they're more happy. Their blood pressure is lowered. They get better sleep and they improve relationships. Man, I'll make a dip. Maybe that's the reason some folks are struggling. They got problems. Don't celebrate enough. God says a lot about celebration in the Bible, folks. I'll just give one little verse here to kind of kick things off in Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, 14. And this is telling about the time when uh, Moses has come to to Pharaoh there and the people of Israel are being, they're being prepared and set up to leave the slavery and bondage of Egypt, set free. But the plagues have come upon Pharaoh and, and the people of Egypt. And there was this plague of death that came upon the firstborn. And the instructions were given to the Israelites particularly I think this refers to the head of the household. You go out and you kill a lamb. Look at the symbolism in this. You take the life of the lamb, the lamb of God, the sacrifice. You take, you, you sacrifice, you kill that lamb, and you put the blood on the door facings, the doorpost. And it says, when I see the blood, you know, when the, we call it the angel of death, or when this, this plague of death is coming upon as an act of judgment, upon the Egyptians there, upon their household, and they lose all their firstborn children, livestock, whole nine yards. He says, when I come by, when this, this death comes by you, when I see the blood, I see that you've acknowledged the lamb. I see that you understand this is the only way to be delivered and set free. Then I'll pass over. You know, we got the old hymn we sung for years and years and years. When I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. And here's what the scripture says. It says, the blood, put the blood on the doorpost, and it will serve as a sign marking the houses where you're staying. It says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 14, this is a day to remember. That's celebration, you remember. This is a day to remember. Each year, from generation to generation, you must celebrate. How often in Scripture do you see the importance of saying, I want you to do this so that the generations that are behind you, the generations that are still yet to come, so that they will know, so that they will know what's happened, so that they will know to celebrate, to worship. This was over and over again in the Old Testament, but this is also true today, the importance of generations when it comes to, to passing the word along to the next generation, the importance of celebration, of praise, and worship. 
serving God. You see, this thing is not just for us to experience. And here, when I look out on Sunday mornings and I see uh, all different ages and I see a lot of, a lot of children, young people, and that's, that's a great thing. The, the thing that stirs my heart is to see that those of us who are, are my age and those of you that are a, a decade or two or three uh, younger than that, uh, we need to look at this from a generational perspective. What am I showing my children? What, how am I training them? What course am I charting for them? Will we look a generation or two from now and see that your children and grandchildren have not followed through and become worshipers and committed to a body of Christ and committed to serve God? We don't want to lose the next generation. And we don't lose, want to lose the following generation after that. So this passing the word, the message of the gospel, the truth of of, of of the reality of God, of serving God, of God's creator, and all these things of Scripture, the importance of Scripture, this needs to be passed on from one generation to another. Amen? He says, I want you to do this each year, and I want each generation to learn. Now, the Jewish people had, uh, the Jewish religion per se, uh, the the people of Israel had seven different feasts, three primary ones, but seven different feasts or festivals. I mean, this involved a lot of different things. It involved uh, times of repentance, humility, giving, offering, uh, declaring the word of God, acknowledging and worshiping. It involved fasting and feasting. I'm happy to see that a lot of the festivals of God not only involve fasting, but involves feasting. I said it involves feasting. God's not opposed to a party. Some of them he would be, but you understand what I'm saying. There's, there's certain things that we need to learn to party. Now, for instance, the, the completion of the temple there. When Ezra, and you read the book of Ezra, which most people don't read that book very often, but the book of Ezra has tremendous things there about worship and celebrating. And it says, we are going to celebrate, get this, because of all that the Lord has done. And that's the reason to celebrate. I want to go to an interesting scripture. You, most of you will be familiar with this, but we're going to walk through this here in the next few moments. And hang in there with me. Uh, I'm going to go to, you know, David was not a perfect man. There were some real flaws. He wasn't the perfect father and he wasn't the perfect husband. But he did have a heart for God and thank God for his grace and mercy. And God had a calling and purpose on his, on his life. He was ordained of God. But here's an interesting event that took place in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And I'm going to read part of this and probably just kind of walk through some of the rest of it that I don't read word for word. But what had happened was that David wanted to go get the ark, the ark of God. It's called the ark of the covenant, which contained the, inside that ark, you remember the ark that had the, the cherubim, had the angels there over it, and it was set in the holy of holies. If you don't have, if you haven't studied this or background on it, it might seem a little bit strange, but it's in the scripture, and you can look it up uh, online, read a lot about the, the, the ark of the covenant, the ark of God. But this was kept uh, as a memorial, and it's also where the, the power of God would, would, would be demonstrated there in the Holy of Holies. But it was, it was representative of the, the presence of God. 
And inside that Ark of God, Ark of Covenant, there was the, uh, the, the golden bowl that contained some manna. You remember when the manna came down supernaturally to feed the people of Israel? There was the staff or rod of, of Aaron, which was probably the one that was thrown down that turned into the snake and he picked up, and his, you know, the one he used to, in declaring to Pharaoh the power of God. Uh, the one that bloomed. Representing the life that can represents a lot of different things. It was in there, and then there was the, then there were the Ten Commandments. The, the slate of the Ten Commandments were in there, the stone, and this was significant and important to the people of Israel. And it had been, it had been set aside, sometimes taken by captives, so set aside different places. But finally, David determines we want to go. We're going to go back and get the Ark of Covenant and bring back. We're going to bring the Ark of God back to Jerusalem. I'm going to prepare a place for it. I'm going to bring this, the Ark of Covenant back. And so he takes, he takes a, thousands of people with him, but he takes people with him to go get the Ark of the Covenant. And so they do what seems to be sensible. They take it and they position it on a... Um, on a sort of cart or wagon, and they began to haul it and push it on. But then they hit a, it seems that they hit a rough place here, and the ark begins to fall off. And the guy by the name of Uzzah, <laughs> Uzzah reached up to do what would seem to be a very natural thing to do and a caring thing to do. He reached up to try to steady the ark and died. Struck dead. Well, there'll be a lot of questions people have with that, but you have to understand that when it comes, when it comes to obey in that light in the Old Testament, when it comes to obeying God and everything that He tells them to do, there's a reason for doing the things He calls you to do. And this was this was actually represented dishonoring the Lord, dishonoring the Ark, because it was not God's designed way for the Ark to be transported. You can read about transporting the Ark; it was to be. Touched by, transported only by Levites, only by those set aside for the priesthood. But in any case, this, the, the, the people there, I think, were kind of struck with fear, and David was upset that this happened. Man, it just, you know, why did this happen? He got a little peeved over it, it seems. And what he did was they took it aside and they just left it at a guy's house. I love his name. Sounds like he should be a football player or something. But this guy's name says, he, let's get left him at the house of Obed Edom. Obed-Edom. His last name was probably Smith. But Obed-Edom. And he left it there for, I think, about three months. Well, when he got, took it to that house, news got back to David after he went back to Jerusalem. News got back to him that said, you know what? The household, the family, and everyone around Obed-Edom are being blessed. Great things are happening. I mean... It just seems like they're surrounded with, with blessing and increase in their life. It was attributed to the fact that it's because they had a dwelling place, the ark of God was present, the blessing of God. Well, David said, he then decided, you know, maybe we ought to go after that and bring it here. So he takes, and we, we kind of pick up there. We pick up, says, then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom, his household and everyone he has, and he has uh, because the ark of God. So, so David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David 
And he, how did he do this? He did it with a great, New Living Translation says, with a great celebration or with great gladness. Verse 13, after the, uh, after the men who were carrying the ark of God had gone six steps, David stopped, sacrificed a bull and fatted, fattened calf. Uh, they recognized the holiness of God, the, the holiness, the reverence of God, of obeying God. And that the only way you could approach God was, was through sacrifice anyway. And that's the only way you can approach him now, through the sacrifice, the Lamb of God that Jesus made for us. But uh, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. I know that sounds kind of unusual, strange to our culture. But verse 14 says, and David danced. Everybody say dance. <laughs> and David danced before the Lord with all of his might, wearing a priestly linen garment. Keep that in mind. He was wearing a priestly linen garment. Verse 15. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with, get this, with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns or trump trumpeting or the shofars. I mean, this was a celebration, folks. Verse 16. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, Right here it's interesting, it doesn't say the wife of David. But it says, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing, one version says twirling, <laughs> whirling around, and saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord, leaping and whirling, she was filled with contempt for him because she thought it to be undignified. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. And get this, verse 18 says, When he had finished the sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord of hosts. Then he gave to every, this is amazing to me, this was a lot, this was several thousand people. So a lot of, lot of folks as we would say. He gave to every Israelite, man and woman, in the crowd, a loaf of bread. This is the way it says it in the, in the New Living. A loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Some version says he gave a loaf of bread and he gave them meat to eat and dessert or raisins. It, it was, it, do you know how much that would be? you have any idea for every man and woman that was there? But he gave it to bless them. This, this, was, a, this was celebration. Celebration involved eating. Hallelujah, amen. About eating, I want to bless you. Then all the people returned back, they went back to their homes, and when David returned home to bless his own family, he was probably surprised at the reception. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, who was his wife, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. How many of you have ever come, how many of you, can I put this? Be careful, Pastor. How many of you guys ever, maybe you've done something, something has happened, and you walk up to your wife, and you're anticipating a certain response, and you don't get that response at all? I know you're afraid to hold your hand, but, <laughs> hold your hand, but, I mean, you just, you know, oh, you expect her to be excited, you expect her to be good, and it's. Not that way. Or it could be reversed, I suppose. But he came, he came up, he came back to his own house, and there Michael walks out. 
comes out to meet him. Get the kind of response he got. Now remember, Michael was Saul's daughter, King Saul. You know, David became king after Saul. And Michael was given to David by her father, King Saul, because of his victories over the victory over the Philistines. So she was a gift that kept on giving. She, she, was, she was a gift to King David. Now, I understand in the light of one man, one woman, marriage, I believe it's what the Bible teaches, the New Testament, absolutely. In the Old Testament, things were quite different. Things were permitted to just do the very mercy and grace of God. You know, there's a lot. We can't get into that. But people had, uh, there times they had multiple wives. Just a, a lot of things I don't think God was pleased with, but was permitted and went on during those days. But Michael, Saul's youngest daughter, was given to David after he defeated the Philistines. But then when uh, David had to go into exile, running from Saul, trying to, to, trying to actually uh, save his own life, keep from being killed, it says that during that time she was bargained back uh, or that she was sold to or given to someone else. And then later on she was bargained back to David from Abner as a part of some type of political move. Aren't you glad days have changed around here? But this is the woman that we're dealing with here. It says, here's what happened when, she, when he came back from this wonderful time of worship and he is flying high. He is on a high. This is exciting. This is wonderful. Uh, all the people have been blessed. This is a great day. I can remember as a pastor years ago in pastoring a church you could have and I saw after a while I caught that it was the it was actually enemy. It was a Satan working on it. You come in and you'd have one of the most powerful Move of the Holy Spirit, people getting saved, the church excited, and then you, sometimes before you got home, you got nailed by some type of criticism or attack or something, some, something that came, uh, I think, from the enemy, but God could even use people to just try to knock you off of that, of that mountain, so to speak. And it happens to all of us, doesn't it, at times? I mean, everything's really great, and then bang, you get hit with some news or somebody tells you something, and it's just like everything dwindles. Well, I... I this could have, couldn't have been easy for David, but it seems like he stood his ground on it. Follow through with me. He says, she said in disgust, or she despised him, said, how distinguished, this, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like common riffraff, like any other vulgar person might do, stripped of his kingly robes. Now, uh, what does it mean, stripped of his kingly robes? Some people, some people have read into this things that are not. This is not like uh, David being a pervert here. You understand that actually what he's wearing, he was not wearing the kingly garb or robe, but he was wearing the priestly garb of the linen garments and the ephod or the, the, the vest that, that went over that. This is what he, he was just not dressed as the king. And this irritated her. She was ashamed of it. She was ashamed of him. David's response says, he said to her, I was dancing before the Lord. Not her, not anybody else. I was dancing before the Lord. 
Yes, and I'm willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes, if that's what it means to worship before the Lord. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I'm distinguished and held in honor. So Michael, the daughter of Saul, is kind of a, this is seen as, in the Old Testament, oftentimes this is seen as judgment. But it says that she remained childless throughout her entire life. Can you imagine? He's celebrating. He's celebrating the Lord. Miraculous things are happening. And then he gets back home. And oftentimes, home, family, seems to be one of the most difficult places to celebrate together. Oftentimes, very awkward for husband and wife who are believers to actually celebrate together and especially celebrate the Lord together, to pray together, to worship together, to be excited about what God is doing. We don't talk about it very much. It's just basically we're at church, we do that, but it doesn't happen very much at home. In the, fam in the family context, we get awkward and we get quiet and we back off of this, whereas God wants to establish this type of family that will celebrate him unashamedly and wholeheartedly right there at home. And what an impact that has on your children growing up. What an impact that has on your neighbors. Now, if you're going to celebrate him, your life is going to begin to align with his word. In other words, he began to bring your family into order. It's, there's a real conflict. And there's a, a lot of misunderstanding connected to the idea that, oh, yes, we celebrate, praise Jesus as a family. I mean, my husband, my, my wife, my husband, you know, we, we, we have a great time before the Lord. We're enjoying all this time. And, and people know when we're around celebrating, you don't have to go around quoting Scripture all the time. You don't have to go around. This is not to be phony. This is to be real, genuine. But when you are real and genuine, in your praise and in your worship and in your celebration of the Lord, it will impact people around you. But understand, your life must become, your life needs to, to become connected to that celebration. Should change you. Celebration of the Lord and who He is changes you, aligns you. In other words, you don't just make a big deal about celebrating the Lord. This family real love Jesus, and then your kids are mean as snakes. One got quiet. Quiet when you said, "I wasn't calling your kids snakes. I mean snakes. I don't believe one in here. What I'm saying is, you know what I'm saying, is that we need to represent the Lord well, and our children, if they're taught that, they line up with it. Kids will be kids." I had four of them. They don't always behave perfectly, especially if they're around someone where you want them to behave perfectly. <laughs> I understand all that. What I'm saying is the goal of the worshipers in celebrating family should be to raise up worshipers and those who follow Christ in their home. Raise up their children that way. Well, I digressed a little bit there and probably got in some trouble over it, but won't be the first time I ever got in trouble. Or the last. But you hear what I'm saying. Celebrate in your family and celebrate by seeing your family become the kind of family and home God wants it to be. David said, I will celebrate on the Lord. So three things quickly. 
Number one, when we look at, all right, I'm going to celebrate. First of all, who did he celebrate? Who are we to celebrate? He says, I sang to the Lord. I danced before the Lord. The number one focus of our celebration is always God. It's who he is. It's what he's done. Listen, if you just sit down in the scripture and you begin to go over the things that God has done for you and who he is to you and what he's provided for you, it will begin to build something inside of you that should release praise, should release thanksgiving. But you have to get in and sometimes meditate and think on that. Who do you celebrate? Secondly, how should you celebrate? Well, there's three things I think I find out from David. He celebrated wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly. He was all he was all out worship and he was all in. That may look different on you than it would on someone else. But God wants us in our worship and celebration of him to be wholehearted. There is, there's to be genuine sincerity in our lives. Things decently in order, of course, but this does not take away spontaneity and joy and shouting and clapping and even dancing. To celebrate. How do you celebrate? You celebrate wholeheartedly. Secondly, you celebrate in different ways or with different methods. This has been a real, uh, a real touchy point for decades in the church. Maybe longer than... Maybe, maybe in two or three centuries. How do you worship? How's it, what's the proper way for a church to worship? Do you worship through some type of, of formal ritual? Do you, you know, go through a particular form every Sunday? Do you worship very quiet, solemn, in that sense of reverend? Or do you worship um, loud and uh, in a very expressive way? How do you worship? What kind of music do you have? You know, it does, it's not the issue much anymore because churches have allowed other instruments to come in, but used to, it was like, it was like pulling teeth to get anything beyond the piano or organ in a church building for worship. We just didn't do that. God knows you're not supposed to have drums in a church service. God knows you're not supposed to have horns. God knows you're not supposed to have these sort of things. You need to read Psalm 149, Psalm 150. You need to go back and check. Names a lot of instruments there. Everything that's in me, Lord, everything that's in me. There are so many different ways to express celebration. David did it in a lot of different ways as we read. So you worship wholeheartedly, you worship. There's different methods. It's not so much about the methods. It's about our worship being scriptural, celebration being scriptural, and it being authentic. Thirdly, I think we saw in him that he worshiped unashamedly. And I think this is a real stickler sometimes with us because we get sensitive to what people think around us. Don't we? I mean, don't we? I mean, don't we? We, we get, we don't, we don't know what they're going to think. Man, they know, they know me and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm not, they know things about me and, man, if I, if I really express my worship and everything, they're going to think I'm a phony, I'm insincere about it. That's, look, you can't be concerned. You can't be a people pleaser in that. You can't be concerned about what everybody's thinking about that. You've got to be sensitive and attentive to the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not about a show. It's not about drawing attention to yourself. This is about being free to worship Him. 
and doing what you feel led to do by the Holy Spirit. And we do this unashamedly. It doesn't matter what the person next to you is. As long as you don't interfere with them, their worship, it doesn't matter what they think about it. It's not going to be boisterous and out of control if it's of the Lord. But it may be loud sometimes. And it may be very active sometimes. Don't let that scare you. It didn't scare God. Doesn't scare God. Don't let that scare you. Be willing to be different. One of the best ways you can pick up on the fact that someone is, is not as genuine as they need to be is because you can see demonstrated with them that they're more interested in drawing attention to themselves than they are drawing attention to him. Don't. God help us not to be young. God help us not to be ashamed in celebrating him. Quickly let me touch on Psalm 149, verse 1 through 9. Follow along with me if you like. It's on the screen. It says, praise the Lord. By the way, most people believe this was a psalm of David. It says, praise the Lord. Sing the Lord a new song. Now, this is not just talking about a new selection. It's not just talking about it's going to be hymn number 223 rather than 224. It's not, talking about a, it's not just talking about a new song. It's basically talking about a whole new way of life. Let, you know, what kind of song is your life singing? Sing a new song. Life's different now. Life's different now. Some people would rather sing a song of complaining and grumbling. But he said, make a new song. Sing his praises in the assembly of the faithful. Let me ask you, who is that? Who is the assembly of the faithful? Who is that? Who is that? We have assembled here together today. If you're a follower of Christ, you are the faithful. Let me ask you, with a show of hands, this morning, who is a member of the assembly of the faithful? <laughs> yes. What a trick question. Seeing the praises in the assembly of the faithful in the company of those who love him. Hey, I'm in the company of people who love the Lord. You are too. Praise God. Verse 2. Oh, Israel, rejoice in your maker. We know who to praise. Oh, people of Jerusalem, be joyful in your king. Praise his name with dancing. Now, some of you are really going to give me a hard time over the next few words in this. Because you know how I feel about tambourines. Could lift that verse out. <laughs> Praise his name with dancing, accompanied by tambourines and harps. Um, we won't get into tambourine discussion right now. It's only thing. I've seen it destroy worship in some congregations because everybody had their flags and tambourines. You couldn't hear nothing else. Okay. All right. And it drives a drummer crazy because they're never on beat. All right, okay, I got my little punchline in there. The message, the message says, let them praise his name in dance. I like what the message puts it. says, let them praise his name in dance. Strike up the band and make great music. For the Lord delights or takes pleasure in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Did you know that the Lord takes delight in you? He takes pleasure in you. His 
There's some things going on he may not like or approve of, but he takes pleasure in you. That's the grace of God. That's the love of God. Passion Version says, in verse 4, says, He enjoys his faithful lovers. He adorns the humble with his beauty. He loves to give them the victory. You hear that? The word here says that he takes pleasure in you and that he loves to give you victory. I'll take that one, Lord. I'll take that. Verse 5, let the faithful rejoice that he honors them. Let them sing for joy as they lie on their beds. The message says, let true believers break out in praise, sing out from wherever they're sitting. Let the praises of God be in their mouths and a sharp sword or two-edged sword in their hands. <clears throat> and and I, I won't go in detail there, but here it, it's seen as, as the praise. And a lot of Old Testament examples there was when the people praised, the enemy of God and the enemy of Israel were defeated. And saying praise is a weapon is what it's saying. Now, <clears throat> we don't praise to try to get even with someone or to kill someone. You understand what I'm saying? But here's, I think, a good way for us to see it. It says that God's high and holy praises fill our mouths and our, it says that God's high and holy praises fill their mouths for their shouted praises. Their shouted praises are their weapons of war. You and I, if we learn to celebrate authentically, biblically, attended to the Holy Spirit, if you and I learn to celebrate and praise God this way, it says that that's one of the avenues, one of the weapons that we have to overcome the enemy. If you've got a battle and the enemy's attacking you or your family, one of the greatest weapons you can have is praise. Might not be what you're thinking about at the moment. But we go ahead and do it. In fact, we could say that praise is like, is like a militant church. It's the church getting up in arms and saying, we're going into battle and we win. I think that's powerful. Verse 8 says that, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, the militant church, praise, celebration, powerful weapon. So first, who are we going to worship? Second, how are we going to worship the message? Thirdly, then when are we supposed to worship? When are we supposed to celebrate? When's it right to celebrate? It's easy to celebrate when everything's going well. It's easy to celebrate when your team's winning it's easy to celebrate when you're well and there's no sickness. It's easy to celebrate when you're feeling good. It's easy to celebrate when, when it seems like all of your problems are, are being resolved. It's easy to celebrate when you've got enough money, you live comfortably. It's easy to celebrate then. Sometimes we don't even celebrate then. But it's easy. But that's not the only time we're supposed to celebrate, is it? Celebration is something we do even when things are not going our way. I think Leanne shared this here two or three weeks ago. I'll touch on it just again. In Acts chapter 19, we have the account of Paul and Silas. Remember, they had been preaching the gospel. Things had been happening, and the authorities came against them. And the whole, the people all around were up in arms about them. They took them to, uh, before the judge, if you will, there. And they were stripped and beaten with wooden rods. It says they were severely beaten, thrown into prison. The guard was given orders not to let them escape. They were put in the deep, darkest dungeon, clamped their feet in stocks. 
All that had happened to them, and they'd done nothing except preach the good news, demonstrate the power of God working in them. When that happened, it says, all the, this is where they are right now. This is, it's hard for us to imagine how they felt at that moment, how they hurt, physically hurt at that moment, how dark it was, how despondent perhaps they felt. But it says here, around midnight, seemed to be the, not a very good time for celebrating at all, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to the foundations. All the doors flew open. The chains fell off of the prisoners. The jailer woke up, came running out, ready to kill himself because he knew that's, that they would take his life because the prisoners were going to escape. But Paul said, don't do that. Don't kill yourself. The prisoners are all still here, which is amazing to me. The jailer brought the lights. Came in there, he said, what, what, what can I do? He said, listen, listen, if I'd been the jailer and the earth quaked and I came in and every prisoner was loose, I would ask the question, what do I need to be saved? What do I need to do to be saved? And he says, you need, you, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your family, you and your household will be saved. The jailer took him to his house, helped care for his wounds, fed him, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he and his family, all of them got saved and all of them were baptized that evening. Out of one of the darkest times in his life, when he chose to celebrate, look at the results. We don't just celebrate when everything's going good. One of the most important times for us to celebrate or give praise to God is when things are not going well, when things are tough, when we don't really feel like it at all. Chances are Paul and Silas had not read a book about celebration at that time. Chances are they'd never heard a sermon about it, nor had they been to a conference to learn how. They celebrated because that's who they were, and they knew who their God was, and that was what was inside of them. They couldn't help but do it because that was who lived in them. And that's what came forth even when, when they, you know, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, actually we could say it says, and again and again and again and again, rejoice. It's not dependent upon our circumstances, not dependent upon how we feel. We choose to celebrate because of who he is. So how do you do that? How do you celebrate when you don't feel like, when everything's going wrong? Well, I think you got to, first of all, you got to really recall who he is. Recall and rehearse who God really is to you. Secondly, you need to remember all that he's done for you. And thirdly, you need to just respond in faith and say, Lord, I'm just right now, I choose to worship you. I choose to celebrate who you are and what you've done. Be quick to thank the Lord for provision. Be quick. Make a habit of celebrating the Lord at home, here, wherever you are. Worship him. Celebrate because praise and celebration precedes the miracle. Close with this. Two very important things to remember when it comes to the idea of celebration, of celebrating. We celebrate what we value. 
We celebrate what we value. We just need to soak that, let that soak in a little bit. We actually celebrate what we value. And secondly, celebration will connect you to what you celebrate. When you celebrate, it connects you to that which you're, that you're celebrating. When you celebrate God, guess who it connects you to? You and I, folks, we've had a lot of fun this morning, some powerful time of worship. But my heart longs to see greater celebration in the lives of all of us as believers. My heart longs to see a church that's alive with a spirit of joy. Every time we come together, recognizing who he is and what he's done. My heart longs to see that in a greater capacity and way in my own life. I long to see it more in my family. I long to see it more in this local church. Because it'll set us up for victory. It'll change our lives. Sometimes God brings blessing into our lives and we just go on like nothing's happened. It's time for that to come to an end. And just be sensitive and aware of how good your God is and what he's doing in your life even today. You've got reason to celebrate. I've got reason to celebrate. Let's do it.